we have to prove our sincerity. It's a if you imagine like a funnel. In the beginning, everyone can jump in, they can put their foot in, they can experiment. But as you keep going more and more serious, it gets finer and finer, thinner and thinner. So this is just the way that the material energy works to test us. It's called Maya. It's a potency that purifies us, actually. So as this, as the statement says, to to attempt to practice Krishna consciousness is like to declare war on the illusory energy, which means that you have to become very strong. You have to, you know, you're going to get tested and examined in terms of your dedication and all these things. So oftentimes people find as soon as they begin spiritual life, challenges come up or obstacles. So the idea is if you're fighting a war, if you're in a battle, that means that you have to prepare yourself. And... You know, the great souls, whenever you see a very exalted spiritual person with a lot of deep realization, it means they have gone through the fire of intense purification, and they have emerged a victor. They are so spiritually powerful. And we can also say that's like a real man. A real man is one who has conquered his senses, conquered his mind. And everyone else, whatever they're doing, they think is manly, like working out, getting big muscles, getting girls, that's still childlike. The real man within us develops in our spiritual life, in our pursuit of conquering our lower nature and evolving to the platform of a, a ecstatic human being, a spiritual being. So it is like a war, it's like a battlefield. And I've seen in my short spiritual life that many people get on the path and some stick it out you know some maintain some keep going and some achieve to the highest levels but that's that inner warrior a spiritual warrior you know this is an image that often comes to mind because it takes a certain kind of determination and dedication you know you think of a samurai well spiritual life is no different in fact you have to become more intense so it's an incredible journey, and these books, they help guide us with the tools, how we can train ourselves and undergo that training. Hare Krishna, we're going to now uh, read a few verses from the Bhagavad Gita, and we'll start on chapter 6, text number 41. Punyakritan lokam usitva sasvati sama Shuchinam srimatam gehe yoga brashto bijayate. The unsuccessful yogi, after many, many years of enjoyment on the planets of the pious living entities, is born into a family of righteous people or into a family of rich aristocracy. Now, this is the answer to Arjuna's question. If you recall, last time Arjuna asked, what happens if someone takes this path but they don't achieve success? They don't achieve perfection? If they desist from the path due to worldly-mindedness? He says, isn't this someone like a riven cloud? You know, the cloud drifts off one big cloud, and if it doesn't get merged with another cloud, it just disappears. So this is Krishna's answer. And he's explaining, actually, whatever you do good, 
whenever you engage in dharma, higher cause, there's no loss. There's never any negative reaction will come from that. It's always in your best interest. Even if you don't achieve complete perfection, even if you don't achieve the highest goal, there's never any loss. Whereas in material life, if you do everything very perfectly and you become so powerful materially, guess what? At the time of death, it's all taken away. So he's encouraging that no matter what happens, you should take that risk. You should go for it. And he explains that the unsuc- this is the translation, the unsuccessful yogi, after many, many years of enjoyment on planets of pious living entities, is born into a family of righteous people or into a family of rich aristocracy. Then he says, or if unsuccessful after long practice of yoga, he takes his birth in a family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. Certainly such a birth is rare in this world. On taking such a birth, he revives the divine consciousness of his previous life, and he again tries to make further progress in order to achieve complete success. So the idea is that now you're getting another chance. In the material world, people think at death, everything is finished. Their whole concept is that you have this one little lifetime, you have to get everything in, you don't know what's going to happen, this is it. Now, the Vedas here are teaching us, no, you have to look at a much broader context. You have to see this as one lifetime in a ongoing journey of the soul. So this life, next life, previous life, it's not such a big deal because the soul is eternal and we are simply evolving to spiritual higher levels of spiritual awakening. So if you don't achieve it in this life, guess what? There's another opportunity. Prabhupada death is just like sleeping for six months. You don't freak out every time you go to sleep, do you? So death is sleeping for the soul. The body, you're, you're giving up this body. This body's no more habitable. It's no more useful. So you're getting another body. And in between, there's six months. So, you know, we have to see from that perspective. That's the real goal of life. And this is how it happens. So, if you engage in some spiritual practice, either a little bit or a lot, if you engage in a little bit here, you take birth in a family of righteous people or rich people, aristocracy. And, relatively speaking, any birth in the United States of America is a rich birth. Because, relative to the rest of the world and how so many people are living, we're considered very rich. We're considered on a very high standard of material opulence, material enjoyment. So that means we've done something in our past life to land us here and to give us this opportunity. Now hear what he says next. By virtue of the divine consciousness of his previous life, he automatically becomes attracted to the yogic principles even without seeking them. Such an inquisitive transcendentalist stands always above the ritualistic principles of the scriptures. So then automatically something kicks in at a certain age usually when one's transitioning from, you know, youth to adult. Then the young adult, they they get some inclination, some attraction. They don't even know why, but they go into this. They're looking for meditation or wisdom. 
So they are reviving their consciousness from the previous birth. Suddenly these things become very interesting to them. They don't even know why. And it's not interesting to others. Why? Because they are continuing by virtue of the divine consciousness of the previous life. And the ultimate point of this is mentioned in the next text, 45. And when the yogi engages himself with sincere endeavor in making further progress, being washed of all contaminations, then ultimately achieving perfection after many, many births of practice, he attains the supreme goal. So, you know, if you're playing a game, a sports match, they take you out for a little bit, you sub out, then you get back in the game. So many lifetimes of practice, eventually then one can achieve, one achieves this supreme goal, which is Krishna consciousness. Now that's what happens when one has a short practice. They become born in a family of righteous people, upright moral people, or rich aristocracy. But here, after a long practice, if one makes a lot of progress, they become very close to that goal, then they take birth in a family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. So these are very rare people, like, for example, in our Krishna Consciousness movement, when people are born into this movement, their parents are already very, very serious practitioners. They've taken vows. They're chanting, you know, minimum 16 rounds, two hours every day without fail. So the child that are the children that are born into that, they're getting this opportunity. They're being born in a family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. That means they were practicing their previous life a lot, and now they have this golden opportunity where from their birth, they're being taught how to be self-controlled, how to be broad-minded, how to chant. From I, we At our chanting, you'll see when you come by the temple, Keith, we have little kids. So from the very beginning of life, they're getting to chant very powerful spiritual mantras. And that is not ordinary. That's considered very rare, very rare birth in this world. Now, let's look at the purport here. Prabhupada says, A person born in a particular righteous aristocratic or sacred family becomes conscious of his favorable condition for executing yoga practice. With determination, therefore, he begins his unfinished task, and thus he completely cleanses himself of all material contaminations. When he is finally free from all contaminations, he attains the supreme perfection, Krishna Consciousness. Krishna Consciousness is the perfect stage of being freed from all contaminations. This is confirmed in the Bhagavad Gita 7.28. Yesham antagitam papam jananam punyakarmanam deidvanvanohanir mukta bhajate mam after many, many births of executing pious activities, when one is completely freed from all contaminations and from all illusory dualities, one becomes engaged in the transcendental loving service of the Lord. So this is called bhakti. This is when we act no longer for ourselves, out of selfish motivation, out of ignorance, or just greed. We act in relation with the Supreme Being. And we try to dovetail all of our activities so, Krishna means the all-attractive being, the supreme being, or the, the sum total, the complete whole. 
everything in existence um, is included within that. So when you act for the cause of the Supreme Being, then you'll find a natural pacification, a natural peace, a natural joy in life that you can't get otherwise. You can't get by just going to the movies or just taking drugs or whatever everyone's after. It's a higher form of satisfaction that will come to the soul. Alright. Anyone want to contribute? Comment? Otherwise, we've only got two verses left in this chapter. So I think we'll finish the chapter here. This is text 46. A yogi is greater than the ascetic, greater than the empiricist, and greater than the fruitive worker. That's called a tapasvi, a gani, and a karmi. These are different paths of yoga, which have been explained previously. Gyana yoga, empirical mind, a philosopher trying to understand the absolute truth through the mind, through the intellect. A karmi, one who through fruitive actions, through Vedic rituals, they try to progress forward towards spiritual understanding. But he's saying a yogi is better than these, therefore in all circumstances be a yogi. So in all circumstances we should try to be this spiritual warrior. We should try to actually control our mind and senses. When you study the yoga philosophy, like of Patanjali, which is the real origin of what all these yoga studios are doing, although they tend to get much more materialistic, much more physical. But the original philosophy is how your body is a vehicle for your soul, and if you learn how to regulate the life airs and the prana within your body, it can help you realize your true self. So real yoga is about living this kind of disciplined life. It's not just about living however you want and just going to the yoga studio once a week. That's not the real teachings of yoga. You know, that kind of, it's kind of been lost. But the real yoga is about becoming this spiritual warrior and achieving domination over your body, over your mind, over your ego. That is the soul's natural position. The soul by nature is superior to these inferior energies but we have become subservient to them. We've become dependent on them. We've become inferior to them. So we're governed, we're ruled by our mind. Whenever the mind wants to eat or go or see or touch, we get sucked into it. We've lost our power. We've become spiritually weak. So through yoga practice, we actually revive that strength of the soul that we live in every circumstance to go progressive, spiritually progress. That's how a yogi lives. So he's saying you should be a yogi in all circumstances. And that will also develop when we have this higher spiritual concept of life where we can actually see that, yes, we people are not their bodies. This one lifetime is not the all in all. That change, shift of vision, right now our Vision is very physical, it's very material, just whatever we think we can see, we think is reality. That's a very limited scope of vision. In the Vedas, you should have Shastra Chakshus. Your vision should be the teachings of 
the sacred knowledge. You make that your vision. Then you can see in terms of a yogi, how a yogi sees things. And they see things differently than a materialist. You know, inter, you can see this in species. Certain species are attracted to certain things that others are not. So let's say there's like a little, you know, a, a chipmunk. Well, an ant is going to be really afraid of that. A cat is going to be really excited by that. And a human being is going to react in a different way. That's based on the bodies. So based on their body, they're analyzing another object according to their body. Now, if you have a sage, they're going to see it in a different way. They're going to see that this is a soul in this particular body. And I have this body, and an ant has that body. But they see an equality of the spirit. So, in yoga, we get sucked into giving in. It's called a kuyogi, one who's not on the yoga platform by the bodily urges. And that will vary, like I said, according to the species. So, for one, one person... You know, I think about this, how if a man sees a very beautiful woman, you know, if he's this heterosexual man, he sees a very beautiful woman, his mind just goes, his body probably goes, he just, he can't control it. Now, if there's a dog, the dog doesn't, isn't pushed in that way. The dog can be right next to the woman, no problem, nothing going on. That's based on the body. So all of our pushings, they're based on this body. So the yoga process to liberate the soul from that body, from that engagement. Therefore he's saying, in all strength we should try to be a yogi. And Prabhupada writes in the purport, when we speak of yoga, we refer to linking our consciousness with the supreme absolute truth. Such a process is named differently by various practitioners in terms of a particular method adopted. When the linking process is predominantly in fruit of activities, it is called karma yoga, one is predominantly empirical, it is called Jnana Yoga. One is predominantly in a devotional relationship with the Supreme Lord, it is called Bhakti Yoga. Bhakti Yoga or Krishna Consciousness is the ultimate perfection of all yogas, as will be explained in the next verse. Bhakti Yoga is full spiritual knowledge, and therefore nothing can excel it. 